Good morning. Our speaker for Morning Chapel today is Eric Iverson. He works for Youth Groups, which is an agency, a mission arm, which provides short-term mission immersion experiences for young people. And they offer that as a resource to a variety of church communities. He is the kind of person that helps somebody like me plan short-term mission trips. I think of the alternative spring break that Stina Odegaard and I have been doing for the past years, and he is that kind of a, a resource for uh, pastors all over the United States. You should know that he has an interesting stake in this experience. As a young person, at some point in his life, he was the recipient of people coming to his community to serve and that stretches you. And so he helps people like me think about, as we are being sent out, what is it the people there really need from somebody like me? And what does somebody like me need to learn about the issues and the assets of that community in which I bring? And I think he is the kind of person that sets the table so that people like me say, oh, I gave so little in comparison to what I received by doing this mission work. He is a graduate of Augsburg College. Another claim to fame is that he has been greatly influenced by the teaching gifts of our president, Chris Kimball. And he won't be singing the fight song today, but he carries with you uh, in his heart appreciation for your uh, ministry of teaching. And so we thank you, Chris, for bringing him to our campus. We have a delight of meeting his daughter, too, Hope, she and our dog, Rip, are now new best buddies. So Eric Iverson. Good morning. Um, I'm going to read a quote from Desmond Tutu, um, Bishop Desmond Tutu. I do not preach a social gospel. I preach the gospel, period. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is concerned for the whole person. When people were hungry, Jesus didn't say, now that is, a, that is political or, or that's social. He said, I feed you. Because good news to a hungry person is bread. Um, it is an honor to be here today. If you would just take a moment, you all had a, like a little card when you came in. You, if you would just take and just read that and then maybe write something on there to answer the question, just take a second to do that and I'll just kind of keep talking so that you don't have like silence in the background where you feel uncomfortable. Um, so I work for YouthWorks uh, in Minneapolis. This is my uh, fifth year there. I'm excited to be a part of that ministry. Um, I am a reluctant short-term missions uh, convert or worker or person. Uh, I always hated short-term missions as a kid growing up in the city in South Minneapolis because to me what short-term missions represented was uh, a van full of white kids driving into my neighborhood to save me one more time that summer. And so uh, it's, I don't feel that way anymore and I've seen the missions community come a long way and I'm excited to be a, a part of that, of that ministry now. Um, uh, it is great to get to see Chris. I, um, I was a, a high school social studies teacher after I left um, uh, Augsburg. And one of, the, one of the things that I brought with me that was one of my favorite things, besides the ability to think critically, um, was the, uh, what Chris would call our, um, our examinations. He called them celebrations. Um, they were, they were not a, it wasn't a test. It was a celebration of your knowledge. 
and wisdom that you had, you know, received and we're going to demonstrate. And so I love that, calling them celebrations. So as a high school teacher, I, I call them celebrations as well. And when the students would come in for the celebration, uh, I would play Cool in the Gang, um, song, Celebrate Good Times, Come On. And so the kids, so it was great. So they're, you know, they're walking, instead of like, you know, walking to class all like, oh, this is going to really be hard. They came in and were like, we're going to celebrate. Most of them anyway. Um, <laughs> So I want to I talk about this passage from Luke 4. Um, to me, this has been one of those transformative uh, passages as I dug into it and, and looked at it a little deeper. For a large majority of Christians around the world, this is the center of the gospel. This passage is the center of the gospel. For a lot of us, um, John 3.16, that's it. That's the core. Uh, but for a lot of Christians, this is like the center of the, of the gospel. This uh, Jesus' inaugural address. Um, his first, like, here is, here's Jesus, this is what he's about, um, and, and so I want to talk a little bit about it today. It's been one of those things that I think for me has helped me to understand Jesus in a whole new way, um, to see this, this very strategic, um, creative, uh, wise person who was really ruffling feathers, um, and, and, and I, it was exciting to see that, and it's also helped me to understand a little bit more about what I call Jesus justice. I say Jesus justice because they're connected. There's not, a, there's not a separation between justice and who Jesus was and, and our faith as Christians. And, and so I just want to give you a little, um, like a, my take on this passage and kind of give you some background on it. Um, I, we, to understand this passage, you have to go into the Old Testament. So let me, let me just give you a brief, my brief uh, history of the Old Testament <laughs> up to this point here. Um, Joseph is, goes into slavery, uh, a few of him and, you know, a group, small group of Jews go in their slaves in Egypt. Um, a few hundred years later, about 300,000 slaves like leave Egypt and go and hang out in the desert for a few years. Uh, and while they're in the desert, um, God gives them a template for here's how you create a new society. This old one that you were a part of was bad, bad, not good. If you want to do it well, here's how you do it and gave them some rules. One of the things that Jesus or that God gave them during that time in the desert um, was the, uh, this, the Sabbath years, the sabbatical years. Every seven years, you'd have a Sabbath year. Give the earth a rest, give your crops a rest, give the cows a rest, give your slaves a rest. And every seventh, seventh year, 40, 49 or 50th year, was called this year of Jubilee, or the year of the Lord's favor. And on that year, there was a few things that happened that were kind of exciting. Um, you could uh, give the earth a rest. There was no farming. It required debts to be forgiven. Um, you had to let your slaves go free. And um, you had to go back to the land that you had originally come from. You had to help the poor and the widows among you during that time. Uh, and that happened, every, that was supposed to happen every 49, every 50th year. Well, I, I don't know if it really ever happened, but God said, this is, what, this is my, what I'd like you to do. And it was sort of, for me, this justice blueprint for society that God had set up. Because he knew that we would mess it up and that we would create this gap between the haves and the have-nots. It would be so astronomical that it would just be ridiculous and completely out of God's plan. And so um, Israel got away from that. They didn't do this. As a matter of fact, it's great to hear, like, uh, Isaiah talks a little bit about how far they had gotten. Uh, Isaiah um, chapter 1, verses 2, he says, Hero, is, hero, hero heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. Verse 6, it goes on to say this, From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness, only, only wounds and welts, and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with oil. Kind of a nasty, gross picture of what happened to Israel, right? And then this passage in Micah, where it's sort of a courtroom, sort of a scene, where they had, Israel had gotten so far away from God, and Micah said, you know, it's really simple, you folks. Like, this is not rocket science, right? If you want to get back in relationship with God, to reconcile with him, there's just 
Three simple things. Do justice, love mercy, and, and, and walk humbly. Right? It's real simple. Do that. And so it's, and then we come up to Jesus' time, and, you know, Israel had been waiting to get out of, like, bondage, and they were, it was this, this the, the system that they had in, in, in Jerusalem at the time, they were under, you know, Roman rule, but it wasn't like there was a bunch of guards hanging out, standing there watching, they had, like, governors that would watch over and make sure everything worked out, and so, you know, it was sort of more chill and peaceful, but there was always a threat, like, if, if things are not in order here, we can always call the Roman army, and they'll come and make sure everything's cool, but if, you know, if we don't have to do that, that's great. So there was this kind of weird, kind of loose system that, you know, the governor would be like, hey, guys, we need you to do this. And so there was folks in Israel who were, you know, helping to kind of make sure everything was soothed and everybody was making money and putting some stuff in their pockets and everything was cool. As long as there was no trouble, everything was fine. So there was a system in place that kind of kept that status quo. Well, so in enters Jesus, right? Israel had been waiting. They had been waiting. to. They said God had promised us a king. David's line was going to, there was going to be a king that was going to come and he was going to save us and he was going to build the, you know, the kingdom of God was going to be in place. And we're excited for that day to come. I can't wait. And it, this really, this is hard here. And so hopefully somebody's coming and we know he's going to be here and I'm excited to see him. I can't wait. I hope he comes. Well, in enters Jesus. So it's Sabbath, you know, you can see Jesus. He hasn't said anything for 30 years. The incarnation, this is a great thing to think about. The incarnation of Jesus was show up on earth, come and hang out. And sit for 30 years and learn. Don't say anything. And then, and, you know, and then after 30 years, after you've really kind of figured it out, then start ministry. It's a little different than our short-term missions plans that most of us use, right? We show up. I got it figured out. Let's go. But uh, uh, Oscar Maria, who's a pastor in Kenya, said, you know, part of the incarnation that Jesus implemented was to shut up long enough and to hear what the folks that you're serving have to say. And Jesus did that. So anyway, so after 30 years, after not saying anything, he shows up. They say, come on in, visiting rabbi. You know, we've heard some things about you. Come on in. And he opens up to the scroll of Isaiah and reads the scroll of Isaiah, which is what is, you hear here in, in this chapter. So this is part of the prophecy about Jesus that he reads here today at that point. So he sits down, he opens it up, reads it. And, um, and in reading it, I, I see a few things that I think are kind of interesting um, the, about justice. And one of the first things is this. Is, it says, you know, as the, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news. Um, he has sent me pro- to proclaim the release of the captives, to let the oppressed go flee, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. All of these, to me, he's, they're active. They're active things. Let, proclaim, um, the release. Jesus, justice, Jesus' justice is an active thing. It's not something that we just sit and think about. It's something that we do. And I oftentimes think that the doing precedes the thinking. So, you know, my encouragement for you is just to do it, just to be active in it. And in that, the praxis will take place where you're like, okay, so what does this say? How do I reflect on Scripture after this action that was hard and it was confusing? Or, or like, you know, this, I really love what you all did last year. Well, we're going to go, we're not going to do anything. We're going to go and learn something and just listen. That's probably the hardest missions trip there ever was, right? Where you, we're not, I didn't get to build something or I moved those rocks from here to there and I feel like I've, anyway, I think that's great. So part of justice, the first part of justice, is it's required, and the second is that it that it's, um, requires action. Um, the, the, the second thing that I see, or the third thing I see here, is that, is that it requires the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Justice requires the Holy Spirit. Um, us on our own doing it, I mean, God can use us despite ourselves, but I think it's very critical that, we're, that the Holy Spirit is a part of any kind of justice work that we do, um, and, and that he will empower us to, to make this stuff right, okay, and use us in a way that he sees fit. Um, and Jesus says that. It's, you see that again and again and again, that the Holy Spirit was, he was anointed with the Holy Spirit to do this work. All right, next. 
is that I think is kind of exciting about this is that um, if you look at this passage, the Luke 4 passage, um, it was bringing good news to the poor. What kind of news have the poor been hearing before that? Bad news. It's a reversal. Um, to proclaim release of the captives. The captives were not released. Now they're going to be released. Everything you, when you read through this, it's, it's something that's a reversal. It's, so justice is about change or righting wrongs. Um, I, I love this analogy of the, the, the friend Brian McLaren was at a, uh, had seen, he was at Niagara Falls visiting and he, um, he goes home and he's watching the news and, oops, and, and there was a woman who had fallen over the falls and was in the water down at the, um, at the bottom of this river. Icy chunks of ice floating and they show the news camera and somebody runs down to the river and they climb over this fence, reach down in the water and pull this woman out of the, out of the water. Bring her back up get her in the ambulance, put that tinfoil around her, right, and get her all warm. And then he said, now imagine you're there, and out of the corner of your eye, you see someone else follow over the falls. So you, you run back down the water, climb over the fence, reach down to the water, pull that person out, bring them back up, get them warm. Oh, somebody else comes. So you run back down the water, climb over the fence, reach down, pull them up. The act of running down to the water and helping people in their moment of need is loving mercy, right? There's people dying that need us here. But he said, but you're stupid, if you don't send someone up river to see who's kicking people in, right? If you stand, if we sit here as a church all day and pull people out of the water, that's, I mean, we need that. But we also need some folks to go, what is going on up here in the top of the river? Why are people falling in? That, going up to see what's going on, what's the root, is doing justice. Let's solve some of those issues up top, those, the, 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 like the symptoms that we see here. What's, what's taking place that's systemic up at the top of the river that we need to reverse? And so... Part of what doing justice is, it's about righting wrongs, it's about reversal. Um, you know, the, the, the cards that I gave you said, what was something, a justice issue that's bothering you? And, and what I would ask that you do, as you think about justice, is to go, what are, why does this exist? The problem that you see, what's that thing that's burning in you? Why does that exist? And how do I start to go to the root of some of those problems and attack those? As young folks, as folks of faith, like how do we start to explore what's really going on there? And that's the harder thing to do. That takes a lot more time. It makes your head want to explode. Um, it's much easier just to go, let's hang out at the river because I felt like I did something. The harder thing is how do we go up here and see what's going on? And that takes more time. Um, the other thing that I see about justice is that it's communal. Um, justice doesn't happen in a vacuum. Uh, it requires someone with whom to do justice to. Um, part of the reason I think sometimes that we're, we focus so much on the individual um, deeds of Christians is that is our interpretation of scripture. If you grew up, this justice thing, if you grew up reading the King James Version of the Bible and that's all you ever read, you would only see the word justice 28 times in the whole entire scripture. The whole, the whole, and it's all Old Testament. If you grew up and NIV was your, the scripture of choice, you would see the word justice 134 times in, in, that, in that script, which is good. Now, if you grew up reading the uh, Nueva Versión Internacional, a Spanish translation of the, um, the RVR, you would see the word justicia over 426 times. And the word it replaces is righteousness. They're very interchangeable. And if, if all we're concerned about is being righteous, I can be righteous by myself underneath this podium. I don't have to, you know, just be righteous. But doing justice requires someone with whom to do justice to. Uh, and it's communal. So the last thing that I see that I, that I like about justice that I learned from this passage is that it requires, it takes risk. To do justice, to change systems, is, it, takes, it takes risk. As you keep reading on in this passage, it's great. Jesus says, now today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is me, guys. Hey, everybody, it's me. This passage that you heard about in Isaiah that you've read, this, that's me. I'm here to, like, the kingdom is, is here. And, um, 
And, and they're like, oh, <laughs> that's great. And then Jesus goes, like, they were like, that's great. That's Joseph's kid. He's a nice, you know, carpenter boy. He's grown up so well. Who knew? And, uh, and so the, uh, and then he goes up, but he's like, but this is not just about you. This is about the whole, the whole world. It's not just for Jews. It's for other people. And so they didn't like what they were hearing. This, like, oh boy, this guy might be a threat to the system that we have in place. Like, we don't want the Romans coming here. This is going to cause trouble. So on Sabbath, on Sabbath, these priests, rabbi, get up, take, this, take Jesus to the edge of the town to throw him off the cliff. They were going to assassinate this revolutionary on day one. So I love that. I love that image of Jesus, like, like messing these people up so much that they want to kill him the first day out because he's going to cause some trouble that's going to mess everything up. He's, it, just, it goes beyond this, like, passive, like, you know, like, 40-year-old white guy with Birkenstocks and long hair, you know, hey, man, he was like, let's just, let's do some stuff. What? Let's go. And, 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 and he got away. It didn't happen, but it was, ex- I love that image of Jesus, and, and that's encouraging to me. Like, okay, like, this, is, I, like, this guy's kind of cool. So it requires risk. They tried to kill him on the first day out of the gates. I love that. Um, some of the other things I think are kind of interesting about, about this is that, Jesus wasn't who they thought he was going to be. Like, if this is truly the king, that, the, the seed of David that's come back, I don't like what we're seeing. So they, have, so they knew that, that Jesus was coming. Um, so you've got these two versions of the king that was going to come. I was going to read these to you quickly. Uh, Isaiah 11, um, 1 through 4. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide what he hears, he, or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy, with justice he will, he will give decisions for, um, uh, for the poor of the earth. Now here's, I think what they really liked and what they really were looking for was this. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. You know, they're like, yeah, that's what we're looking for, right? That's the kind of, that's the kind of king we're gonna, we'd love to have. Well, I think this is what they, what they ended up with, which, and I think they weren't too excited about. This is um, uh, uh, Isaiah 42, and I'll just, it says here, here, here's my servant whom I uphold, who, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, in faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He, um, he will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on earth and his teachings, and, islands will put their, and, and the islands will put their hope. I think this wasn't the king that they were looking for. Like, I think the verse, the chapter 42, was more what they saw that day, because Jesus excluded a part of that Isaiah passage that they really liked, right? There was a part of that Isaiah passage that Jesus didn't talk about. And it was this, it was, I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. And they're like, this is not what we were bargaining for. So that was risky for him. And I think that was part of what also almost got him killed that first day. So in that, I just want to give you a few things that I'd like to leave you with. One is this, I encourage you to do this, is to risk more. Don't be, with, don't be what people expect. I think if we're what people expect, it will take us too long to create change that we really want to see. If you just go and fit in the mold that everybody expects you to, to fit in, by the time you get older and are going to shape the mold for other people, then you're going to squelch what they do. Just don't be what people expect. Jesus was not what people expected, and I like I liked that. That was exciting. I'd like you to dig down deep. Look at the roots. Um, 
this is part of why I love doing short-term missions. Because I think one of the roots that, that of, um, of oppression that leads to poverty that I see is that I think that there, there are still Christians in the church who don't care. There are still Christians who, who, who utilize their power not to think about these issues that our folks deal with and struggle with and, and just go like this. You have the power to do that. And, and I think that's what I get excited about short-term missions because it exposes folks to some stuff that they, man, I have to care now. i got to go home and I can't just be the same. So I have friends that went to Haiti and they are messed up. God wrecked them there. So hope they didn't wreck too much while they're there, but they, they got wrecked anyway. And, 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 the, and the last is this. This last year I was at, I got to go to this conference called CCDA. How am I doing on time? We're getting close. We're okay? Yeah, okay. Uh, this conference called CCDA, um, uh, Alexia Salvateria, who's a, a Lutheran pastor here in the L.A. area, was speaking, and I talked to her afterwards, and I said, I love coming to this conference. This is so great because, like, everybody, I don't have to explain myself to anybody here. Everybody gets me and knows me. She's like, you know, if I had to ask people to raise their hand, all those folks in here who physically feel the pain of others, she's like, 90% of the folks would have said they would have raised their hand. She said that, that like, mercy and compassion for some of us is, is, a, is a vocation. The, the, that is a vocation, and it's a gift. What we need, what she said, we, what we do is, though, is we start to doubt that this is really something that's important. Like, it's important to me, but nobody else gets it. And she said, you need to see that vocation, your passions, your callings as, as your gift. That's a gift that you have. And how do you help other people to understand it? Musicians have a gift, and they help us to get it. I'm not a musician, but musicians and their gift help me to see how that works and what it's about, and I get passionate and excited about it. And so I think one of the things on there is, what, what is that one thing that, on that question there that I asked you to look at? What is that one thing that you, that is really bugging you, that you're starting to doubt in yourself? To say, maybe this isn't really what I'm excited about. And to say, no, 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 listen to that. God has put something in you that is important, and don't, and don't ignore it and continue to follow it. And, um, and, and see what God is really calling you to do. That's my encouragement for you today. Thank you.